Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. Well, would you look at that? The sun came up on Wednesday morning after <laughs> yesterday's gloomy day at Nationals Park. Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast, everybody. Pulling double duty this week, Bobby Blanco and Amy Jennings back with you in the Mass and Web Studio. We are live on the Mass and Nationals Facebook page and YouTube channel, and of course, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Hopefully, you're tuning in live and commenting. We want to hear your thoughts throughout the course of the show. Lots to talk about, of course, with the Mega Juan Soto and Josh Beltray to the San Diego Padres. Um, and then, of course, listen to us after the fact, too, if you miss any part of the show. Shout out to Tim Leonard for pinch podcasting yesterday for <laughs> me uh, with Amy up here live as they gave initial reactions to the Juan Soto trade as it was going down. Great recap of the deal, what the Nationals got back in terms of prospects. Tim has done a great job uh, for us, uh, not only scouting and, and doing a lot of great research and analysis on the draft, but now also minor leaguers coming back from uh, this mega trade. So thanks to Tim and, of course, Amy, you as well, while I was down at Nationals Park uh, helping Mark Zuckerman cover the, all the deal. How was yesterday for you guys up here? Was it was as hectic as it was down there? I don't – well, the power kept going on here, so that okay, was stressful. hectic um, on top of everything. But I don't think it was nearly as hectic as your day was, Bobby. So what was it like? You were there. You went in the clubhouse, correct? Yep. Oh, that when was, media was allowed in. You were in was, the press conferences. Yeah, it was – it was a surreal day. It was uh, it was one of those days where you're. I mean, everyone, anyone who's involved in this franchise is always going to remember the day they traded Juan Soto. Um, but for me, it was it was kind of it was just hazy. It was a very hazy, and I'm not just talking about all the humidity that we've had in D.C. the past two weeks, but like it was just it felt like the longest day ever. But it also went by in the blink right. of an eye. Um, it was very surreal being down there. We were told. That to get down there to the park early because they were trying to get Mike Rizzo to speak before the traditional pregame stuff like clubhouse opens. Davey spoke, of course. We now know that there were some more uh, small details being ironed out for the trade, so he didn't talk to us till after the fact. So we were there early, kind of getting set up, planning out, doing some more research on all these prospects coming back, getting the final details of the deal. Went to the clubhouse, normal time at 3 o'clock, and actually this was the funniest scene of the day. It was kind of funny. We uh, we got in there, and first of all, the all the players that are already there are, you know, kind of laughing, but you're like, you know, they're gone. They're, they're, not, they're not here. Um, they came in and said their goodbyes to their teammates and to Davey and Riz, and, and, then, and then, you know, made their way to – started making their way to San Diego. Um, but then – the all of the local news reporters and TV cameras surrounded one player, and you want to guess who that was? Sean I'll see this Escobar of all people. I don't know why. Uh, what? They, I, I, I don't know who went over first, <laughs> but it was just the. No offense to I'll see this Escobar, but, no, he, but that is he was random. a teammate of Juan Soto and and Josh Bell for one calendar year essentially, and. He hasn't played much recently. I mean, he hasn't had really much of an impact on this team ever since Luis Garcia came up in June. I mean, it was just a very odd, and, you know, it was just, you, you could tell that it was all of the local news reporters and TV cameras, mm -hmm. you know, trying to get sound for, you know, their their hit for the 5 o'clock uh -huh. news, whatever it may be. 
But all the all baseball writers were standing behind and being kind like, of looking at them like that's not necessarily the guy yeah. I want to talk to. Nelson Cruz held court for a long time. He spoke a lot about it. He he was a good guest. Sean Doolittle did the same. Um, I liked that. I saw it on Twitter the quote with Sean Doolittle where it was basically like, you know, I feel really bad for these fans. You know, it's a really tough thing to go through. But if it makes you feel any better, I'm still here. I'm still here. Yeah, that was good. That, <laughs> that was classic cute. Sean. But he, you know, he he felt it. He got it. He understands. And mm-hmm. um, you know, he was one of the one. I, I, to be honest, I didn't fully hear all of Nelson Cruz's. Pre- he was, again, like I said, he talked for a long time, and it was he was packed in there. And I was trying to maybe talk to some other younger players about what Juan meant to them. Um, but I did hear Doolittle, and he was very honest. I mean, like you know, I I feel sorry for them, and right. we didn't really. I mean, there was some empathy given by Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez in their press conference, but they were more so, which rightfully so. I mean, they're the manager and the general manager of the team, but they were trying to point to the positive and spin it as a positive mm-hmm. thing and, and point to the future. But Doolittle was, as he always has been, very honest and being like, this sucks. And that's nice to see because it does seem like every like after a big trade like this, everybody is kind of like tries to put on a face. And of course they have to. Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez kind of have to do that. And players kind of have to do that because it's kind of like, well, we're still here, you know, like whatever. Yeah. But it's nice to see them to be honest and really express how they feel and kind of empathize with the fans. Yeah. And and I, I think fans definitely appreciate it. We appreciate that, of course, mm-hmm. in the media. Those are great quotes to use and to provide fans. So, you know, it, there is a human element to this. You know, we talk, Juan Soto mentioned in his last, what ended up being his last meeting with the D.C. media as a member of the Nationals on Monday night, being like, you know, I understand it's a business. I'm just an employee here. Right. Uh, but there is a, that personal side. You know, Sean and Juan Soto were teammates for three seasons. Well, 19, well, 18, three, 18, three 19, this would be the third. 20, this would be the fourth. Cause not, oh, not including half, 21. I yeah. Guess. Cause 18. Yeah. Oh yeah. Not two, including two. Yeah. You're right. So, mm-hmm. so four seasons. So, you know, <laughs> Juan has basically been around as long as Doolittle has been around for the national. So they kind of were on part of the team together. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was surreal. Um, it's just, one of those days you're like, you can't believe this is happening, but I have so much to do. We got to keep focusing. Yeah. Right. You know, just kind of put your head down and, and keep working, much like Nationals fans need to kind of put their head down and keep moving. Exactly. That's all you can do, Bobby. Yeah. Well, I, I know you guys did a lot of talking about the return, uh, the five prospects, plus now Luke Voigt. I don't know how much you guys touched on Luke Voigt, if that had come out when you guys went live it yesterday on the podcast. Um, Eric Hosmer uh, does not waive his no-trade clause. He ends up getting traded to the Red Sox, um, and instead of him – the Nationals get Luke Voigt. He will be their first baseman for the foreseeable future. He actually doesn't become a free agent until after 2024 as well, even though he's at the age of 31 already. But there are, if you're watching us live, there are the the, the five prospects, C.J. Abrams, shortstop, left-hander, Mackenzie Gore, outfielders, Robert Hassel III, and James Wood, and then young 18-year-old right-hander, Jarlin Susana, who is going to the rookie level of Florida Complex League to start Mike Rizzo on the radio today saying that Mackenzie Gore, who was actually dealing with some, I think, left shoulder inflammation, is actually going to start on the IL and start his rehab process with the Major League team. Uh, C.J. Abrams is was already optioned to AAA Rochester. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Hassel, um, I believe, is starting at High A Wilmington, and Wood is going to start at Low A Single A Fredericksburg. So those are your starting points for those prospects. Um I really do want to talk more about the Soto impact on the franchise, the city, the fan base. But, you know, we, I, 
we haven't talked, you and I personally, mm-hmm. about the product. What, what did you make of the return for Juan Soto? I think getting those two major league ready guys and CJ Abrams and Mackenzie Gore was kind of the highlight of this of this deal. But then, you know, you got rap, their Padres number one prospect in Robert Hassel. You got James Wood, who the Nationals were actually interested in in last year's draft. And you see this a lot in trades. It's a great opportunity to kind of target those guys that you've already done a lot of work up on and you're familiar with. And he's also a local kid, which was was kind of cool. And then I thought what was kind of the most interesting piece after I heard Mike Rizzo talk was that their their big target in this deal was Jarlin Susana. And that's the main reason that they included Josh Bell in this trade. They weren't going to be able to get Susana if they didn't include Josh Bell in the trade. And there's a lot of questions. Was it worth it? Should you have dealt Josh Bell separate? Did you get enough packaging them together? But that was their guy. That was a big target in this deal, and they were able to get him because they included Josh Bell. So the Nationals are clearly very, very high on this this guy. Yeah, and that's that definitely ties into the part of the argument of why didn't or question, I guess, why didn't they wait until the off season to trade? Mm-hmm. You know, wait out the season because you and I kind of debated: is there really a big difference between what they would have gotten at this deadline? If it's just Juan Soto versus the offseason, probably not. But the difference is you're able to trade Juan Soto with Josh Bell right now. You can't do that in the offseason when Josh Bell becomes a free agent. And like you said, that gives you uh, Sasuna, who is was really high on – he said he was really high on uh, their want list, um, even though he's only 18 years old and, and very raw. Yeah, now the, the Padres get – um, Juan Soto for a third postseason run. So de- we've never seen this before. We've never seen a generational talent like Juan Soto before, but we've never seen a guy like that traded with two and a half years of control left. So I think that was a big part of it too. The Padres clearly went all in yesterday or at this deadline um, as a whole. And a big part of that was getting a guy for that extra postseason run. Uh, per MLB pipeline, uh, this came out today, the Nationals' new top 10 uh, prospect rankings. This, is, of course, will also change over the course of the uh, coming days because I don't even see Elijah Green ranked in this top 10 just yet. You have to imagine the number five overall pick we put in there. A lot more uh, analysis needs to come out from the draft and then, of course, the trade deadline. But Robert Hassel ends, enters as number one overall, taking over for Kate Cavalli and Brady House get bumped down to two and three, respectively. James Wood enters at number four. And uh, Jarlin Susana enters at number eight. Um, and then also, that's per MLB Pipeline. And if you look at Fangraph's prospect, they put this out yesterday. The trade immediately moved the Washington farm system overall per Fangraph's from 24th to 8th. And that's what you and I kind of said last week. We're like, if you're going to do this, this needs to be a haul that bumps you into a top 10 farm exactly. system immediately. Um, and the inclusion of Josh Bell helps to do that. Fangraph's also mentioned that uh, Mackenzie Gore and C.J. Abrams have graduated from prospect status, but if Mackenzie Gore was calculated into this group, they'd be number five overall as a farm system, and that's what you needed to do in terms of this deal. Exactly. The ability to trade the top players on the market, like Juan Soto, the top player on the market, gives you the ability to get a huge haul like this back, and that is the best way to improve your farm system quickly. And we see that, according to Fangraphs, going from number 24 to the number 8th ranked farm system. And I think if that gives Nationals fans any comfort, and I think that's the main takeaway about this, is life after Juan Soto 
you have to at least be happy with what you got. And look at that, number 24 to number 8. That's a huge jump, and that's really important if this team's going to be competitive in the near future. MLB Pipeline usually puts out their top farm system rankings a couple of weeks after the trade deadline, so that's still to come. We'll see where the Nationals jump. I believe they were, again, in the bottom third of the mm-hmm. league in the 20s, maybe mid to high 20s, maybe not as low as the bottom 20, but they were still in the bottom third. So interesting to see how far they jump up. And, of course, like I mentioned, they haven't even added Elijah Green to their prospect rankings just yet so that's going to obviously help getting a number five overall pick i'll i'll face the music you know last week we <laughs> ended the podcast you said they were going to trade him i said no but i i said what would what's what going to take is for someone to blow mike rizzo away and exceed their asking price and that's what mike rizzo said that the padres did they were the only mm-hmm. team to go beyond what the nationals were asking for juan soto and then of course they then go on to add josh bell into that package so we, that's what we said needed to happen, and the Padres and Mike Rizzo gave uh, the Padres front office and, and ownership credit for having the guts to do this move, and also you know, he gave credit to the Nats ownership group for having the guts to, move, to do this move, but he said, you know, not many teams would do that. They were the only ones to offer this package, and that's why they won the bidding war. Exactly. There were a lot of teams that had the, the top farm systems in on Juan Soto that had those top prospects, but it appears that the Padres were the only ones – willing to give up those top prospects and their first prospect number thir- three prospect and their 14th ranked prospect so we, yeah we know that um we know that the cardinals were not in it late uh their gm came out and said so as much yesterday and we can kind of figure that the dodgers were the second team in on juan soto and weren't willing mm-hmm. to go as far as and <laughs> kudos to the padres they weren't going to get outbid twice in a row right. by their division rival dodgers i don't know if this helps them catch the Dodgers in the division, probably good enough to definitely get a, a, a playoff spot. Another factor in this is I saw someone saying, I can't remember if it was Jim Callis or another one of the national like prospect or, you know, farm system, minor league insiders. But they said, yeah, this trade makes the Padres good for the next two years, this exactly. year and the next two years. But after that, who knows? I mean, they could be very bad for a long time. So this is their window. They need to win right now. If you're looking three or four years down the line, can argue that the Nationals are better better off because of this trade than the Padres are right now. Again, all this remains to be seen. I mean, we're going to have plenty of time to dissect this trade and evaluate whether or not there was a win or a loss for the Nationals or for the Padres. Um, you and I are going to have plenty of time the rest of this season uh, to evaluate these these five mm-hmm. prospects that came over, see how Luke Voigt plays at first base as Josh Bell's substitute. Um, but, you know, like I said at the top of the show, I, I do really want to focus on now just the overall impact that this trade means because i know a lot of fans are upset and you i'm sure you saw it too on twitter was very it was a very sad place yesterday for nationals twitter um and they pulled out a win yesterday but you could still feel like it was a sad day at nationals park even though they won and beat jacob Degrom um and the mets but I, I really kind of want to take this pulse. Again, we are live on the Mass Nationals Facebook page and YouTube channel, mm-hmm. so uh, so comment along if you are joining us live. Um, Amy, what is your sense of how Nationals fans are feeling right now? I mean, they've gotten to watch probably the best player in baseball for a while over you know these last few years, and to give that up I think is really hard especially when the season is trending the way it is and the Nationals are not competitive at all at the end of the day at least you're getting to see a Juan Soto home run every other game um and there's something to look forward to and it just it didn't make sense 
as much as we would have liked to see Juan Soto here for two more years, it just didn't make sense. But you have to understand, you know, they had Juan Soto and they let him go, and that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, it is. And it's, I think you, it's just another name on that ever growing list of star players that leaves. And Mike Rizzo was asked about that and he pointed out, and he said, you know, I, you know, ever confident Mike Rizzo and, you know, wasn't disrespectful, but he, or snappy. He just quickly replied, I'm also the guy that signed Juan Soto. And I'm also the guy that signed Bryce Harper and Anthony Rendon and Steven Strasburg and, and Max Scherzer and traded for Trey Turner. That's all well and good. Yes, you are that. You did do all of that stuff. But those guys are no longer here. Mm-hmm. And that comes to the question of the future of this team now because a lot's going to hinge on the guys that you just acquired that you just drafted that you signed in the international signing period this past offseason that you acquired at last year's tread deadline and drafted in last year's draft and there's a more of a track record that under mike rizzo they're not as good as that Mm -hmm. as they have been early on in his tenure and they haven't right and I think also what makes it a little bit more difficult from a fan perspective is like, I think fans like realistically understand like Bryce Harper, record-breaking contract. Juan Soto is going to be a record-breaking contract. Like you can't realistically sign that many talented players to long-term deals. It's just not realistic the way baseball and the business is trending right now. But they did sign Steven Strasburg and let Anthony Rendon go. And I think now when you look back at that contract, and then you look at the list of everybody else that they've let walk and the fact that they kept Steven Strasburg, I think that makes it a little bit more difficult. And maybe that's just me, but I feel like fans have to look at that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, no, they're, they're data points for sure. And um, uh, you could also make the argument, just to play devil's advocate, though, though Anthony Rendon has not really lived up his contract with the Angels either. So, you know, it, it's kind of like a pick your poison there mm-hmm. in terms of now that we know in hindsight. Um, but... Yeah, right, of course. But, you know, the, what I come to back to is like the, yes, you signed Juan Soto, Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon, Steven Strasburg, traded, and, and, Mike, and Max Scherzer traded for Trey Turner. Those are all, maybe except for the exception of, of Trey, as close to sure things as possible. Those are number one overall picks, Cy Young winners, and Juan Soto, who was scouted as one of the best pure hitters of his at his age and, and, and proved mm-hmm. to be so. Um, so that's how much developing are you actually doing with those guys instead of you're just like waiting for them to burst onto the scene? That's what I think that's the issue is that this organization, this team was not built to be competitive and they were competitive for a good chunk there. But after they went all in, you, you got Max Scherzer, you signed Patrick Corbin. That team was not set up to compete for a long period of time. And that's where you see the difference is teams that are able to compete over a long period of times are they have their homegrown talent. They've drafted really well. They've and the nationals have done well in the in the international market, but those teams are good in the international market. You know, they they do the right things at the trade deadline and the nationals have didn't set themselves up specifically with that team that won the world series to be competitive over a long period of time. And you, he'll always point to, but we won the world series. True. You did. And you they won did. one and no one will ever take that away from you. So that's, that's but a now fair point. we, we enter the next stage, which you see with so many organizations after you do win it, 
you, you you start this process of rebuilding, and that's what the stage that the Nationals are in right now. This was very well put by who else? Mark Zuckerman on MassInSports.com in his article this morning. Kind of just wrote an overall column on his thoughts about everything, and he points out. From 2005 to 2011, the Nationals saw 13 first-round draft picks collectively produce a 156.1 war per baseball Mm -hmm. reference, headlined by Ryan Zimmerman, Steven Strasburg, Bryce Harper, and Anthony Rendon. From 2012 to the present, they've seen 10 first-round picks collectively produce a 10.8 war per baseball reference. And 10.1 of that, so only .7 of it, does not belong to Lucas Giolito, who finally became what he was supposed to be with the White Sox after they traded him to, mm-hmm. for Adam Eaton, helped win a World Series. I, we're done talking about that trade. But that's significant that outside Lucas Giolito, their first-round picks since 2012 have produced a .7 war. And that's when reference. the team was competitive from that year on. So that's kind of what is So you're looking at guys like Eric Fetty and Carter Keboom and Seth Romero who have not panned out to be what they were touted to be with Eric Fetty being the only consistent major leaguer, and to be quite frank, he's, he's mediocre at best. And there's a certain element of that where from that year on, the Nationals drafted lower and lower and lower in the first round, and picking the back end of the first round is a lot harder than you know having a top five pick or top ten pick. True. So that's definitely a, a, a part of it. But still, that's a part of this conversation, and that the Nationals have not drafted well in the first round when they have picked at the back end of the first round. To that point, though, so did the Dodgers. The Dodgers have done that, and they're and, they, and even the Yankees, and they're consistently mm-hmm. have great farm systems and, and, and great major league teams. So it's like there is a blueprint for it. Where's the disconnect? Where, why can't the Nationals pull this off? Because they did so well to get to be, be competitive, and then that has since tailored off. And how much of that is not drafting well, and how much of that is not developing well? I think it's more of a developing mm-hmm. thing. And I think you can look at the guys they drafted, especially now even more recent guys, like at the time of their draft, Mason Denneberg, Jackson Rutledge, Kate Cavalli, Brady House, now Elijah Green, good picks from where they got them. We, we say that uh, Kate Cavalli, Brady House, and Elijah Green were all steals from where they got considering but now you have to develop into major leaguers, and not just major leaguers. Like first-round picks should be borderline all-stars, right. if not superstars. Um, and and that's the next question. And that's you know they don't have the luxury of having a good major league team and have time to develop these guys. They need these guys to be good in a couple of years to be the next wave of the of the next good team. Mm-hmm. And that's this Juan Soto deal just ended an era for the Nationals. I, I wrote this morning that. You can no longer draw parallels to this team to the 2019 World Series team. They're different teams now. They're, we oh, can no longer close. Yeah. Cannot lo- Juan Soto was the last connection. Um, there are <laughs> so only give a it up, people. handful of guys that are still here, uh, like Strasburg, Robles, Corbin, but no one was as impactful currently and back yeah. then as Juan Soto. So they're two different teams right now. So this is a whole new page, whole new book that we're starting on this Nationals franchise, and a lot of that is going to weigh on how much they develop these guys and if they can turn into contenders again. And another you know, connection from the trade deadline to, to developing talent and looking at this current team is this current team is made up of you know, free agent signings, waiver claims, you know, whatever you have it, a lot of veteran players. Mm-hmm. And I think the unfortunate thing is there's something to that where you're, there's some teams that go out and get, you know, like the Orioles have a bullpen made up of complete all waiver claims pretty much except for one guy. Um, 
and they've been able to flip those guys and get guys back at the trade deadline. And so if you're going to do that, you have to, like, if you're going to sign Nelson Cruz with the intention of flipping him, you have to do that yeah. or else it just it doesn't look so great. And that's something the Nationals have not been able to do is get those guys um, and flip them. Yeah, and flip them and also develop the guys that get back for them. And, and, mm-hmm. and like, like this – this could be a whole different conversation if some of these guys had panned out to be better. We would not. We might not even be here having this conversation if some of these guys had turned out to be better, um, because you know you need those, not always superstars, but like also role players to fill the holes when there are injuries, when you do make trades to better your team, mm-hmm. when um, you need those type of players. Right. Mike Mark also pointed this out too, and they haven't had that, and that's where they started falling off because some of these guys couldn't. Carter Keeboom was probably the best example of that. He could not come up and fill the hole when a Trey Turner or Anthony right. Rendon got hurt, slash left to be that next star, and then that sets you back. Sets you back. Yeah. It was a bad cycle for a couple of years for the Nationals, not being able to have guys like that yeah, in the system. I think that's that's a really good point. So, I mean, not to get too down <laughs> on <laughs> this, but it's, I think, some realities that uh, Nationals fans and the Nationals organization has to face at this point in the game. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I, I think also as a fan base, you know, this city has, it's hard not to compare to other teams in town because this city has, have, has other teams that with track records of sustained success. And the Nationals being one of them, but now they're just going through a tough period. But, and I know they're different sports, but you can look back to like even as far back as like the 80s with the then Redskins who won three Super Bowls with three right. different quarterbacks. And how, how do you do that? Drafting and developing and acquiring different talents and, and having them, you know, that fit your system and work and win. It has to be a well oiled machine. <laughs> the, the Capitals have only missed the playoffs, I think, twice in the Alex Ovechkin era, surrounding his team with Alec, around Alex Ovechkin and Nick Backstrom. And now John Carlson. I mean, like the other. I know there's those sports are different than baseball. The biggest difference being salary caps. Mm-hmm. So you know you can only play, pay certain players a certain amount. So you know, pr- player preference of where they actually want to play comes more into factor. Whereas in baseball, more money is a factor, and you can get more money like Wanso is going to get on the open market because there's no salary cap. But kind of the point remains the same that. There is a track record in this in this history in this city of teams being able to draft, acquire, and develop talent to be consistent contenders year in and year out for a long period of time. We're coming up on two decades of the Capitals being competitive, and then now we're going to see after one decade the Nationals are going to go through a tough period of time of not being competitive. Right, and it's kind of I can understand it's hard for for fans to stomach that seeing it play out in another in another team in the city. Right. And the Nationals were competitive. I mean, leading up to the World Series, 100%. the Nationals were, were competitive. And I just wonder if where we are now with the Nationals, if that's a result of the cycle of baseball winning a World Series and now it's time to go, go through the cycle again because they're that kind of team. Or does it have more to do with the state of the organization? Yeah. The state of the owners, the state of player development not really going so well not drafting well is it more the organization or is it more this is how baseball goes yeah well we saw with the football team when the ownership changed in the 90s it hasn't been great since and uh yeah i think ownership does play a part of it we talked about that a lot too i mean Mm -hmm. and and that also plays a part in Juan Soto not wanting to sign a long-term deal here and that's that's all fair and that's a fair 
assumption, but that, that puts in even more pressure on the next owner to to cur- fix those wrongs, correct those wrongs. And, and we've seen that the Nationals are far behind a lot of teams in baseball in terms of development and, and you know the use of analytics and stuff like that. Austin Voth talked about it as much going from the Nationals to the Orioles in just a couple of weeks and he, how much better he's pitched for them because of their being able to develop players, not just in the minor leagues, but also at the major league level. And that should be really alarming. It is very. Considering the Nationals have drafted pitchers like five years in a row in the first round and their whole goal was to draft and develop pitchers you know have a a complete rotation of their own guys and when you hear a player leave and he's not the first one and say that they hadn't seen a pitching chart that's a little bit alarming and and the national that's something that the nationals are going to have to fix if they're going to stick to the plan that they have currently i think it also i said also it goes to show like how good Max Scherzer is on his own and how good when Steven Strasburg is healthy, how good he is on his mm-hmm. own, that they're, they did all that they've accomplished without that information that apparently is available to other teams. Because all of their best pitchers, like I know Strasburg was their guy, but he, they didn't develop him. You know, he's Strasburg. He's Strasburg. Came, yeah, yeah, he's Strasburg. He came onto the scene quick. It, there wasn't much development there. And outside of that, their, their best pitchers have been guys that they've acquired from other organizations. So, yeah. That's definitely something to note and something that I think the Nationals are obviously going to look at as they continue to launch now what I think is a full-blown rebuild that's yeah. going to take a lot more time than we thought. But And you hope that the guys that they just acquired, guys that have recently drafted, they also fall into those categories of close to can't misses. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, like we said, that's what you needed to acquire if you're giving up Juan Soto. Now, maybe this pans out for them in a couple of years. It's just, like I said, it's it's... I I am trying – I'm typically an optimist up here, right? And no matter what I'm going to – try to look on the bright side. Um, there's this sto- – I, I think I told the story in the pod before a long time ago, but back in 2019, I have a really good friend, Tom, who I mentioned also in my article, who essentially – also known to be dramatic, a little overdramatic. Tom. But he gave up on the team in May. He was like, you know, 1931 is like, that's it. I'm not watching. Trade everybody. This, this, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. Of course, they won the World Series, and it's like, well, Tom, you gave up on the team. You can't really celebrate right Mm -hmm. now. So that being said, though, him saying yesterday to me over text being like, I don't have the desire to watch baseball anymore. Like, this is is hard to take and kind of the last straw. That – I actually understand. I can – I get that. You see all these guys, these players you fall in love with that win for you just leave – Right. It's hard to accept that. I, I, I get that part, even as a guy who's like, you know, come on, stay with it. Stay with it. it it's, I don't necessarily blame fans who, and I no. also don't necessarily believe them, but I don't necessarily blame fans who are quote unquote jumping ship right now and saying they won't come yeah, back. I, mean, I think they'll eventually come back, but it is really hard to do right if now. If you're a true fan, you stick with your team. Yeah. You understand that this is, they're going through a rebuild. That's just the reality. If you really look at it, it makes sense that they had to deal Juan Soto right now to get these prospects back because what it comes down to for me is, you know, you go back and forth. Are they going to do it? Are they not? Should they do it? Are they not? But what it comes down to me is Rizzo said that they were confident that in two years they were not going to be able to sign Juan yes. Soto. And he said there Great weren't point. negotiations. Like Juan yeah. Soto and Boris never counter-offered their offer. Um, and 
it's not like they, I mean, I understand the average annual value. I understand maybe the years you shorten that, yada, yada. But $440 million is a lot of money. It's not like they threw out an offer that was just like, oh, come on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and so I think there is something to that. And that's what it comes down to. Like, you really have to think, what is having Juan Soto? You've seen it this year. Juan Soto, as good as he is, cannot change the, the outcome of a season. So what's two more years of Juan Soto on a non-competitive team just to see him walk? in two years and get nothing back if you're a good gm you cannot let that happen if you're good owners you cannot let that happen and fans should be excited that they got six solid players back Mm -hmm. um in this deal and they would have gotten nothing yeah so that's kind of you have to have to accept that like juan soto was not going to sign in two years yeah i i agree with you um i i have seen fans say that there is something there is worth you know cheering for one player at a time um I, mark pointed out in his article this morning that like you know cal ripken won a world series in his second year with the orioles and then never and then only made two more playoff trips but he played his entire it's a different era yeah, of baseball yeah. but, but kind of the same thing so there, there is something to be said of having a face of a franchise a superstar like, but he has to want to be there and if juan soto wasn't if they were not going to reach a deal, it no, no, no wasn't I'm saying realistic. like no, no, I'm not. You know, I'm saying that like uh, that will be the argument of keeping him for two more years, of just having the fan base, you know, stay with one, re- okay, knowing that I, I've had, I have seen fans say, you know, I it would have been, be- which I don't agree with, but I have seen there is a sentiment, there's a portion of this fan base that thinks that it would have been better just let him play it out and maybe trade him in two years or next year uh, because you know. He's the reason we keep coming back. We love Juan Soto. We want to see him play baseball in our Nationals uniform, regardless of where he may end up. And it'd be a good... I mean, the rebuild wouldn't be what it is if you don't trade Juan Soto, but it would get fans probably through two more long, drawn-out years of losing. So, I I, again, that's another part I understand. I don't necessarily agree. I more agree with you. Like It makes more baseball sense to do it now. And also including... Josh Bell in it to get the absolute greatest value in return. That helps too. And, you know, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. Like all of these things can be true that the Nationals offer was a realistic offer. They didn't lowball him. Yes, the average annual value point remains, but that can be argued back and forth. That can be fixed. Uh, but yes, also Juan Soto was correct in rejecting it and wanting to go to free agency and going through arbitration and not wanting to sign long term because of the ownership situation. And then with that being said, it, the Nationals were also correct to pursue mm-hmm. trading him when his value has never been higher. And I see somebody commenting on Facebook that part of it is that they're tied up in the Strasburg and Corbin contracts. Do you think that there's any truth to that? Uh, uh, I mean, it probably played a factor in terms of... I, I that They just, still made that big offer. That just comes back to... Yeah, right. That just comes back to the ownership group. I mean... You know, if they didn't have these giant contracts on the books, um, maybe you can offer a little more and maybe, or yeah, or increase the average annual value. Yeah, back ended, it would be more up front. front. But that doesn't change the average annual value. I mean, you still have to take years off um, or increase the overall value just to up that up. So I don't, I mean, I don't know. And we still don't know, we still don't know what Juan Soto wants. Right. You know, and I, well, we do, the that, one thing we do know, free agency. Free agency. And which he right. should. That's his right. And that is 
yeah completely but as far as once he reaches free agency what kind of deal he wants is yet to be seen maybe he's not like these other these other guys that want to play in the same place for the rest of his life maybe it is part the 15 years is part of that because if his value keeps going up in 15 years or in half of that time five years you know he signs a six-year deal his he could get paid even more because we don't know what the market's gonna look like then right but yeah but at the same time but we don't know why would he want to become a free agent again when he's almost 30 because it's Juan Soto. Yeah, but if you're Juan Soto, you can get the most value now when you're 23, 24, 25. I don't know. It's just different. But yes, it's it's hard. And and I said and like I said before too, it's going to be harder a harder pill to swallow when a couple of things happen this off season, when a new owner comes in and says, "Man, I wish he was here. Um, I wish I could have signed, or I would have done everything I kept I could have to ke- to keep him." And then also you see other stars heading for free agency this year, possibly re-sign with the teams. Like if Aaron Judge re-signs with the Yankees for this mega contract, that's going to be hard for Nationals fans to see because they're going to be like, well, they did it. Why, can't we, why, why couldn't we have done it? Of course, different situations slightly, but point kind of remains the same. But if Trey Turner re-signs with the Dodgers and, and stays out there. They did it. Why couldn't we? So like, I, I get that kind of part of it too. Yeah, that's. I think that's going to be be difficult to see, and I just hope. I mean, they're being classy about it on both ends. Mike Rizzo spoke highly of Juan Soto. Juan Soto put out that, mm-hmm. you know, thank you video to Nationals fans. But I just really hope that after everything that Juan has done for for the Nationals and you know vice versa, that it doesn't end. It's not on as a sour note as we might think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I really hope that things didn't go that south and it had didn't have a happy ending. Also. What's going to happen with Juan Soto's brother? <laughs> I, I Yes, that's a part that is not in the forefront right now, but I thought of that too. It's like, his brother is supposed to sign and when in, we talked in January. To, yeah, and we talked about this like last international signing period when we there were, there were signs that he was coming, that the Nationals would sign him next year when he was eligible. Uh, we had the same conversation. If Juan leaves or if he's not here anymore, what does that look like for his brother? So that's just an interesting piece to it. Ilion. 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 But Ilion maybe Soto. he does sign. The Nationals do sign him. And now you have another Soto to watch yeah. fans. So that's yeah. a little excitement. I mean, I'm not, yeah, we're not saying that his brother is going to be the next one Soto. But, I mean, he sounds like a highly rated another prospect coming that you would want in your system. Um, and those connections, and you know, yeah, are fun. I, you know, and you're right. I think how much of the relationship was damaged. Mike Rizzo did kind of allude to, like, after – Juan was upset that the contract offer details came out and he was upset at the Nationals. Like, it was kind of made clear that it wasn't, it was just business. And, and that part of the relationship was kind of fixed. So maybe there are no hard feelings yeah. right there. And, and I mean, Juan's going to go compete for a World Series for the next three years. I mean, he's on a team that is built to win for the next three playoff runs. So. How much can he be that upset? I, they did say that, oh, you know, right. he was a little taken aback. He was a little upset because he did like it here. But and now he's going to go play for another ring. And that's a part of it. Mark commenting on Facebook, he said, but he, you know, they, he understands that the Nationals had to get something back for Juan Soto, but he's leaving because he sees a Nats team in decline. And that's an interesting piece of it when it comes to him signing there long term, did he want to stick with the team that wasn't going to be competitive quick? Yeah. But that's also an interesting piece to it. Like 
Juan Soto, yes, leaving the organization that started him in Major League Baseball is sad, but he's going to a much more competitive team. And that kind of works out for him and could work out for the Nationals long term. It's just we're going to see the results on the Padres end of this deal much quicker, naturally, because they were the buyers instead of the sellers. So that turnaround will be quick. I mean, they have to win in the next two years. We're going to find out if this trade was worth it in the next two years for the Padres. Yeah, that's that's a good point that they're – the fruits of their labor are going to come faster than mm-hmm. the Nationals. And to, like I, we said before, it's going to be a long time evaluating this trade. Right. And, and we'll also Josh Bell was a part of it. So yeah. <laughs> I know we, we haven't touched on that much because yeah. it, it's like throwing Josh Bell in there. He kind of gets pushed aside. But, yeah. you know, that was a, the Nationals' biggest – before on Soto Talks came out, that was the Nationals' biggest trade chip. Yeah. Um, and – good for Josh Bell he can go to a team that's mm-hmm. going to be competitive especially at this point in his career I also wonder like it's just all like I said the key, the word I use is surreal it's just like very like how, how are we here why are we here and you know looking back I asked Davey Martinez this last night you know do you look back to last year not the, a little bit before last year and think like man things could have gone a lot differently um, Davey gave up a, gave a, a similar answer like I think the question before about like he did wasn't really concerned about baseball in 2020 because of the pandemic he was more concerned about the people it affected um, but then I followed up and was like but you know 2021 team is built to win pandemic is getting better you guys have a great June you're back in the race and then things kind of fall apart and then now here we are like do you ever think back if something would have bounced back right the right way you know they could have been competitive last year and maybe we aren't trading Juan Soto or Josh Bell today maybe they're buyers again and trying to make a playoff run and maybe Juan Soto ends up staying I don't know it's just like that section between the end of June between the end of June and the trade deadline last year think if things could have gone differently it could have been a lot different it could have. We, we wouldn't be here. We, I, we could not be here I right think now. it, it, it all, all comes down to they just didn't have the young talent to replenish, you know, everything else, to fill those spots. Like you mentioned, yeah. they didn't draft well. They didn't yeah. have those guys that they developed to come up and fill in those spots and, you know, to keep being competitive. And the team was not – that team, the last three years, was not – set up to succeed long term it just wasn't realistic yeah i mean 2020 happened and you know we know how that went but then they tried to re, re that was the real reboot uh reboot for 2021 and be competitive again and uh, you know everyone made a big deal i mean it was a big deal but jacob de made his first start in 391 days yesterday on, on tuesday <laughs> his last start 391 days ago was on july 7th 2021 on that day, the Nationals beat who else but the Padres 15 to 5 to get back into second place in the NL East. Juan Soto hit a home run and walked twice. Josh Bell had three hits and two RBIs. Trey Turner had two hits and scored two runs. And Patrick Corbin pitched six innings of two run ball. And they're back in second place, back in the race. And you're just like, I mean, Kosh Horber was hurt at the time, but you're just kind of thinking, right. it's like, wow, they were. This could have gone just, And then Mark Zuckerman pointed out to me last night. The day after was when Max Scherzer gave up a grand slam to a relief pitcher, and then they ended up getting walked off, and that was just everything went downhill from there. That, yeah, that was a turning that? point. Yeah. yeah. And so it was just like they were close. <laughs> they were close. Josh Bell was starting to heat up. Kyle Schwarber, I know he was hurt, but had that fantastic June. He obviously came back to play later in the year for the Red Sox. So, And that's why it – 
it could have been different some weird way that scherzer turner trade was more shocking last year than this so trade is there i i do because back then we last year we weren't really sure about this whole rebuild reboot thing like there's I remember we had this conversation on the podcast. Like, there's, they're, they are not going to deal Scherzer. That just doesn't make sense. They're not going to trade him. It was, I, I, no, it, it was, was the other way around. It was Max might make sense. Trade never made sense. Adding, oh, adding oh, Trey Trey, Turner. Yes, Trey yeah, had yeah, one yeah. more year of control. Max was 36 right, and an expiring contract. It didn't make, like, you know, that just simply doesn't make sense. And then they did. This year, like, you kind of had a feeling leading up to the deadline that Soto was going to be gone. And we're in a full-blown rebuild. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's there's some element I was, at least personally, I was more surprised last year. Yeah, I'm glad you said rebuild, too, because, like, let's call this what this is now. It is no longer a retooling, no. reboot. It's a rebuild. When you trade away your two you best players. You just made players, the biggest deal in Major League Baseball history to sell, and you yeah. were the seller. Yeah. You, there's no element of a reboot. Yeah, and, and it's a rebuild. And it's going to take re, – reboots are meant to come back in two or three years. This is going to take – at least probably f- three or four. Oh, so definitely. It's a rebuild now. So that's what's what it is. Um, you know, I know we that's a lot of Juan Soto talk. I mean, but we, before we get out of here and while I collect more thoughts, we did want to talk about the moves that the Nationals did not make at the trade deadline. We thought that Nelson Cruz would be an easy trade. Uh, this is a while ago. Uh, Carl Edwards Jr. was pitching and could be really coveted. At the trade deadline, Kyle Finnegan as well. He has a lot of years of control, though. Maybe a, ta- a team will take a flyer on Steve Ciszek. None of those guys moved. The only moves that the Nationals made was Ariandrianza, Juan Soto, and Josh Bell. The rest of the guys are here, and they're staying for the night. Are you surprised that they weren't able to pull off any other moves? Yes. <laughs> that first deal, the Ariandrianza deal, was surprising. I mean, but it was kind of, you know, one of those deals where it's like, Okay, like you get get a little something back for a player like that. I'm, I I can get down with it, you know. Do whatever you can, sell whoever you can. Um, and then yesterday, of course, with the big Juan Soto Josh Bell deal. But leading up to the closer we got to the deadline, closer we got to the deadline, it's like, what about all these other guys that we thought for sure that the Nationals were going to sell, like Nelson Cruz? Like, you have to get whatever you can. I mean, I think it probably came down to the way Nelson Cruz has performed this year didn't go yeah. as planned. Who really needs Nelson Cruz at this point? And then those relievers, all those relievers that you mentioned, I thought that they would be able to get something for any of those guys. And Mike Rizzo said when it came down to it, you know, it meant more for those guys to pitch for us the rest of the season than the return, the turns that we were being offered. But like Carl Edwards Jr., like you got all you could have wanted and more out of him for the majority of this season. Kyle Finnegan. Get whatever you can for Steve Ciszek because the, none of those guys are going to be here in the long-term plan. So with the exception of Kyle Finnegan, maybe. Yeah, well, Finnegan has – I mean, he is, I think, 31, though, but he has a lot of control Three left. more years, yeah, yeah. So it's that's a little different. Um, but, yeah, with Cruz, I guess the, the other thing is how much he's getting paid. Uh, I think it was – it's a $15 million deal for one year with an option. Uh, and that works out. The Nationals look so smart. Oh, yeah. It didn't work out, and it looks so bad. It's a lot of money for one guy that's hitting 231 and a slugger that only has eight home runs and 52 RBIs. He's on pace to easily set his career low um, for a single season in home runs. The previous, on a season that he actually played a significant amount of games, 
was 16 in 2020, even in a shortened right. season. He might not surpass the amount of home runs he hit in a full season than he did in a shortened season. Nelson Cruz, of all people. Yeah, it, it, just, it didn't work out. No. It and he, didn't he work out. He said so as much. He said he was very disappointed when talking to the media yesterday that... He knew his role. Yeah, yeah, that this has not worked out with him backing up Josh Bell and Juan Soto. I mean, Josh Bell and Juan Soto eventually came around and did their part. Nelson Cruz, unfortunately, didn't. And I guess you have your DH for the rest of the season. Uh, if you can even keep your number three hitter him. now. Right, exactly. They had just bumped him down to number six, and now he's back <laughs> up hitting cleanup or number three at this point. And, right. And he's hitting 231. Not in the lineup today, I don't believe. so. Um, with an OPS of 658. OPS plus of so, 92. You know, that didn't work out, and that was the other kind of sure thing that the Nationals had every intention of dealing him at the deadline. So I was very surprised that they did not do more. I wish they would have. But I guess when it comes down to it, you're not in that room. You're not in those conversations. We don't know what they were getting offered. And it just wasn't worth it at the end of the day, Riz- I suppose. Yeah, Rizzo did s- – well, we didn't talk to Rizzo after the deadline, but he said he still had some stuff to work on, but nothing came of it. Um, yeah, I guess no team wanted to take on that Nelson Cruz contract and get that produ- – I mean, sometimes like with a guy like that, you maybe take a fl- you take a chance. Maybe he needs a change of scenery or a better lineup around him, and and he'll it'll help us. And no one really wants to take on that fifty million dollars for two months of an aging Nelson Cruz. I wouldn't. Um, I, Mike Rizzo said this morning on his weekly radio appearance that the Nationals actually did have discussions about trading Patrick Corbin. And they ended up just not including him in the Juan Soto deal, a separate individual deal. And they decided that it wasn't the best move for them. And on this podcast last week, we were talking about would it make sense to throw Patrick Corbin in a Juan Soto deal. We both agreed that it would no. take the take the value of the deal down. Doesn't make sense. You just have to bite the bullet on that one. But we never – I didn't imagine that they would throw Juan Soto and Josh Bell in a deal together, um, which was – pretty surprising but surprising but now looking back on it it makes sense mm-hmm. um and, and it, after you explained you know and getting jarlin susana that was kind of the yeah. difference in in that deal and and if with as it relates to corbin i think any deal that was being discussed any acquiring team would have wanted the nationals to pay his contract um and i can see them being <laughs> like well, if we're paying him he's pitching for us right. um because like i've said Say what you will about Patrick Corbin. He's taking the ball every five days, and that's what this team needs right now because you have guys like Anibal Sanchez pitching today, Josiah Gray still developing, uh, Paulo Espino, who is a journeyman, long relief guy, uh, Eric Fetty's hurt, Mackenzie Gore is now hurt, um, Cake Valley apparently isn't ready. So you need guys to take the ball every five days, and Patrick Corbin does do that. Right. And it could be two-thirds of an inning like we saw in uh, – LA or it could be closer to six or seven or anywhere in between. It's just a There's grab bag. There's going to be some interesting lineups for the rest of this season. Yeah. Hey, into next season. But the good thing is when you look at this deal is they got CJ Abrams, who you're going to see rather quickly and Mackenzie Gore, who's expected to pitch again this season pretty quickly. So that is a, a good thing. <laughs> CJ Abrams playing short. Excuse me. C.J. Abrams playing shortstop, bumping Luis Garcia to second? That's what I was going to ask you. 
I think you have Nash, to. I think you have to, especially since they're kind of like opposite type of players where C.J. Abrams is an elite defender. That's what carries his player profile. He struggles a little bit more at the plate, plate approach, base running, but his defense is what he has, where Luis Garcia is kind of the opposite, where there's some defensive questions there, but the bat is there and, and ready to play every day at the major league level. So I think you kind of have to. Yeah. Um, but I guess, you know, C.J. Abrams being in AAA, starting in AAA, gives you a little bit more wiggle room to kind of figure out the future of those two guys on the big league team. We have to also give a shout-out to uh, Joey Menesis, mm-hmm. first baseman from AAA Rochester, who was brought to D.C. early yesterday just in case the Nationals needed him. Turns out they did because they traded Josh Bell. He played first base yesterday. Your first at-bat assignment, no big deal, face Jacob DeGrom. Struck out on three pitches, but to his credit, he comes back in his second at-bat, flies out to right field, and then his third at-bat, first major league hit, is a home run. A really cool moment for Joey Menesis, Menesis uh, in that in that game last night. I, it's it's That's the kind of why you love baseball. I mean, of course, the Nationals sell one of the best players of all time and the biggest trade of all time, and yet still go out and beat Jacob DeGrom. In the... Like the wind With had the AAA lineup, exactly essentially. like the, <laughs> really the the wind had to be so out of their sails and I think that first game or those first few games back are really important to show that like you have a little bit of fight it's like the most crucial time for veterans on this team to kind of step up and the fact that they were able to go out last night get a win that it was against Jacob Degrom I is something I mean I know it's hard to get excited right now but like mm-hmm. there is something to that and that is important those first few games back after these deals that just take the wind out of your sails. Yeah, it's, we've talked in this entire podcast, it's hard to look on the bright side right now. It's hard to see the positivity, look down the line in the future. Um, but don't tell the guys that are still in this clubhouse that because they go out there and play every day. Luis Garcia said so. Davey Martinez said so. They're here to win every single day. They might not. They probably won't. But they're going to try their best. And uh, that's what you want to see. You want to see some fight mm-hmm. from this team after such a – a devastating day, an emotionally tolling day that uh, Tuesday was at the trade deadline. Yes. Um, so now it just comes down. Can the nationals take these prospects that they got back in this deal that they continue to draft and can they develop them and make this rebuild quicker, but at least getting those prospects jump starts the whole thing. Yep. It does. It's going to be interesting to follow for the remainder of the season for the next couple of seasons leading up to hopefully the next competitive Washington Nationals This might be team. the last day. Oh, yeah. If you if you have seen all of our bobbleheads, we're going to have to get rid of some of these guys. We got Josh Bell, Juan Soto, Ryan Zimmerman, and Jason Worth up here. Um, the only one up here that's still on the team, Patrick Corbin. So we might have to go ask the Nationals for some new bobbleheads or, or find some old know. ones that have maybe some like Hall of Famers or something. I tweeted out a picture yesterday, and this just happened to be in the background of these two bobbleheads. And the fact that it said see you later just <laughs> really I didn't just it was drove home a fact that I didn't mean to do on purpose. So yeah. <laughs> hopefully it is a see you later and a see you never. Um, yeah. so that'd be nice. The Padres come back to DC in ten days. So <laughs> Nationals fans, if you want to see Juan Soto again at National Spark, you'll be able to do so. And you know what? You love Juan Soto. It's one of those players that you can root for no matter yes. where he is. You can root for Juan Soto. So that's still going to be so fun to see him play no matter where he is. Yeah, I think that goes without saying. This is not Juan Soto's doing. This this falls on ownership and oh, front right, office. Right. I, I did not see a single fan, I think, bashing Juan Soto or saying a negative thing about Juan Soto yesterday. It was all gratitude and thank you and good luck. It was 
all the disappointment and frustration, anger, sadness is directed towards right. those who made the decision to actually do this. And we'll see how it turns out. I mean, we've got a couple years to do that. We'll, of course, be covering every step of the way on the podcast from here on out uh, throughout the course of this. Now, rebuild. It's a rebuild right now. So be sure to follow along. Subscribe to the Mass on All Access podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Check us out every single week live on the Mass Nationals Facebook page and YouTube channel. You can follow Mass Nationals across the board on social media and at Amy Jennings News for Amy on Twitter. I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco. Shout out again to Tim Leonard for co-hosting yesterday and also producing this show today. We'll be back next week. The first week of the non-Juan Soto era will be underway and completed when we talk next time. Hopefully see you then, and uh, enjoy the weekend, everybody.